Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 11. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In episode 11, Jeevana and I discuss our individual journeys with anxiety. We both share ways that yoga has been helpful and discuss what has not served us. We hope that this conversation will hold some space to normalize the fact that we are all navigating anxiety and some of us are navigating anxiety disorders and other mental health issues. Jeevana, who's writing a new book, felt that it was important to have this conversation, giving him a space to share authentically about his journey through grief and anxiety. And so in this episode, he'll share deeply about reshaping his practice and diving deeply into self-exploration as a way to learn the accept the role that anxiety plays in his life. I also talk in depth about how yoga gave me new tools to navigate my thoughts, patterns, and negative self-talk. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. Welcome back. Uh, hey, Jeevana, how's it going? Hi. Hi, Amber. I'm good, actually. How are you? I'm good. I'm just coming back from being in the woods for several days mm. with no internet or phone on a camping trip. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It kind of felt weird when I like stood in front of my computer this morning and looked at the screen. I was like, what is this? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But it's good to be back online and, and working too. So yeah, I mean, I I spend way too much time in front of screens. Like I know everyone says that, but I think yeah. since like the pandemic, it's even worse. I'm just like on my phone or at my computer so much. I mean, my yeah, gardening is like the only is well, I go for walks every day, walk my dog and garden. But like other than that, it's just screens and it's not good. It's not good for our mind, for my mind at least. Um, I was recently uh, reading this uh, blog post that Adam Grossi uh, posted, and it was about um, (laughs) the way he presented it. It was like, I have this esoteric secret, which will empower your practice. And like the secret was having your phone in airplane mode until you do your practice in the morning. (laughs) Oh, wow. And basically he talked about like um, taking that time, like the time when you first wake up in the morning is when you're basically constructing your mind for the day. And so you're either constructing it by like checking all your notifications and your emails and like doom scrolling through all the like headlines or, (laughs) (laughs) or you're constructing your mind by, you know, practicing yoga or doing your writing or doing your meditation or like whatever your practice is, um, that you have. And so, I really loved that concept about like constructing your mind and kind of like setting yourself up for success. Cause I don't know about you, but when I start my day, like picking up my phone before I've even like gotten out of bed, (laughs) Uh, which I do, you know, sometimes like it's definitely a difference between. I mean, I I do that. I, it's funny actually. Well, one, I know we're going to talk about um, my personal experience with anxiety today, but I have to say, like, one of the things that's changed for me is my practice actually is now in the afternoon. Like, I used, mm. I used to practice in the morning for probably, I don't know, 25 years. And, um, you know, with kids, like, it became really stressful. Like, I, I felt like I was forcing my life to stop in order to practice or having to get up real early because, I, you know, mm-hmm. I have kids. And it's funny, like, then a few years ago, I realized, you know what? I actually have more space in the afternoon. 
And actually it was more like the kids were usually out doing something and my husband was at work and it just became like this routine for me. It was a lot of, it was a lot more spacious time in my life than the mornings. The mornings were just so stressful as a parent. Like I, I couldn't do it. And so, um, I still do that. Like I still, I do get up and get on my phone. So maybe I am setting myself up for failure that day, but I don't know. Like for me, it's still, I love that my afternoon practice time. There's kind of a lull in my energy. I guess we all have that kind of in mid afternoon. And that's just Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's, that's a signal for me. That's where I go. And I, and I spend time moving my body and, and doing whatever I need to do that day. Yeah. Um, That's really smart too, to like structure your day around your natural, like energy and schedule cycles so yeah right because i'm a morning person actually so like i my tendency is to want to like get up and go and like it just feels good for me um my husband just laughs because he's not at all like that like Uh he wakes up and he can't think straight and i literally like wake up and i'm like running like that's just (laughs) (laughs) maybe i need to switch my practice to the afternoon (laughs) Well, it depends. Like, I think it really depends on your body type and like your personality and yeah, just like, do you like mornings? Are you a morning person? I don't know. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, anyway, um, yeah, we're talking about anxiety today. I know. It makes me anxious to talk about (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. Uh, We're going to talk about what helps and what doesn't help, I think. Um, or what has helped us anyway. And maybe what we can just say, like at the beginning of this episode is like, Jeevana and I are not doctors. We're not psychiatrists or psychologists or any of that kind of stuff. We really just want to like share about our personal experiences with anxiety and kind of talk about how our yoga practice has been helpful, what things have not been helpful. And, um, you know, we encourage you for sure. If you think like, I think having anxiety about, you know, a situation that's happening or, you know, a social situation or something is like perfectly common experience that a lot of people can relate for relate to. And then like, you know, there's anxiety disorders and things that may need more professional help or medication or therapy to treat. And so, you know, maybe we can just disclaim and say that like, we think you should get whatever kind of professional help you may need um but we wanted to like share about our personal yeah i appreciate you saying that and also differentiating between the word anxiety i think is used um to mean a few different things because i think Mm -hmm. it's a it's a natural part of everyone's life that we have Mm -hmm. moments of anxiety and then there's actually a diagnosed condition or many many diagnosed conditions that are related to anxiety disorders like um well generalized anxiety disorder and also PTSD, which is actually an anxiety disorder um, and related. So it's like both. Yeah. It's funny. It kind of, it's, it's interesting in a way. I I think it gets, the word gets overused sometimes uh, because of that, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe confused because it's, it really means two different things. Yeah. So I know you wanted to, um, this was your idea to do this episode because you had some stuff that you wanted to talk about and share. And I'm sure we'll, you know, go back and forth. I've certainly had my struggles with it as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I wanted to share because I've been writing about um, my journey with anxiety for my new book. And it's, it's, it it just occurred to me that um, I haven't really spoken about it publicly. And, and I think that it's something it's important to do so because I think that if we can talk about um, anxiety as like a serious issue, like as a, as a disorder or a challenge, um, 
we can begin to normalize those conversations around mental health issues, which I think are often, um, I don't know, like stigmatized, stigmatized. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. I think we're, it's hard to talk about mental health. And I have a lot of that in my personally, like mental health issues in, in my family, like with my, my dad and also my daughter. And so it's just like, I have like a lot of uh, mental health issues around me and in my life. And I just, I realize even though I work in this world of accessible yoga, it still feels like, um, it still feels hard to talk about it. Yeah. So um, yeah, basically what happened to me is that, you know, looking back, I realized that I've had anxiety, you know, my whole life, but I never really identified it or labeled it. Um, even though I'd, I'd been through therapy many times and I think yoga really did help me a lot, you know, especially um, kind of handling the daily kind of anxiety I was having. I think that my yoga practice really became uh, a powerful tool for me. And then about three years ago, um, my mom died, which was really traumatic for me. I mean, we were very close and um, I didn't realize, I don't think I realized the impact it was having on me physically. And then like a few months after she died, I had this um, really horrible experience where I basically couldn't breathe. I think it's hard for me to even talk about mm. this because it makes me anxious to really relive it. But basically mm -hmm. I was um, I was out at a restaurant with my husband back when we could go out. And, um, you know, but after we were, I remember walking to the car and like I was short of breath and it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where like I really couldn't breathe. and. We got home and then I remember getting home, I, I laid down and I said, I told him, I said, something's wrong. I'm, I'm, I, I thought I was having a heart attack or like an allergic reaction. I was like, something's happening. So he took me to the emergency room and, um, you know, they were, they saw me pretty fast because I thought it could have been something big happening. Mm -hmm. It was something big happening, but it wasn't any of those things. They literally couldn't find anything physically wrong with me. Um, and so they, you know, after hours of tests and waiting, and I remember the doctor came and was like, you know, we can't find anything wrong. Um, we think you have, you're having an anxiety attack. And, and I laughed uh -huh. at him. I laughed at his face. I was just like, no, that can't be right. I said, I'm a yoga teacher. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was, what, that was my answer to him. It makes us you know, immune. Laughing, Don't, you know? <laughs> we got this emotions thing figured out. <laughs> I know, right? now, And this is like literally after, I mean, I don't know if people know my experience, but I haven't, I haven't had a very serious practice for, I mean, at this point, almost 30 years, yeah. you know, of a daily practice of yoga and meditation. And <laughs> it's just like, this can't be happening to me. So anyway, it really kind of blew my mind. And it took, it took a long time for me to kind of wrap my head around that and accept it. And I, I still do struggle with that diagnosis, but, you know, cause diagnoses in general are weird. Like sometimes it's a relief to have a diagnosis and sometimes it feels like a burden. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I want to fit into a category and be like identified as that, you know, like, Oh, I'm a person with anxiety. Like I don't really want that identity. So, so it's been, it's been a journey, but, um, and it took a long time to get over it. Cause that experience, it actually, it was so traumatic itself that it really impacted um, my daily life. Mm -hmm. And I, it kind of brought this kind of fear into my life that it could happen at any time. And I, and the memory of the experience. Um, yeah. Like your nervous system was keyed yeah. into that. 
Right. And so like when I would go, like when I tried to do my practice, actually, even that day when I was, when it was happening and I was trying to like breathe deeply, it made it worse. Mm -hmm. Like any time, any kind of conscious breathing was worse for me. And so for, for really months, even a year, I would say after I couldn't do conscious pranayama. Mm -hmm. Um, It just was really disturbing to me. It would, it would trigger me in a way. So so it's been quite a journey in meditation in general too. Like meditating felt really um, anxiety producing. Yeah. So I had to do different stuff. I had to like, basically I had to start over. And that's what I was writing about in my book. Like it really was like starting all over again. And in many ways, I, I think my this book that I'm working on is is the result of that time because I, I realized I had to just let go of a lot of the um, preconceived ideas I had about what a yoga practice looks like. And, and I already do that like with accessible yoga, but I, I hadn't really done it for myself personally. Mm-hmm. And I think this, the last three years have been like just um, exploring in a new way, letting go of really everything I thought about what yoga is and trying to explore it in a different way. And so I'm just trying to, the book, I wish it was a little, I mean, maybe it'll be organized at some point. At this point, it's a little scattered, but um, it's a lot of like just sharing those experiences of that that time and also questioning yeah. uh, what we're doing. Can you talk to us about like what that process of exploration was like? You know, you said you felt like you started over. So what was your way in? Like what when you went back to basics, what did that look like? And how did you sort of have you gotten back to a pranayama meditation practice? Like, what did that journey look like? Mm-hmm. I think I think teaching was essential there because it kept me like like I think I would have just stopped doing yoga actually mm. if it wasn't for my teaching and how much I feel like my heart is invested in yoga and as as like a not, not only a philosophy but just like as a way of seeing the world like i never i never stopped believing in the truths of yoga and like the teachings that yeah are like the core of my existence like these ideas of spiritual um, understanding and how the mind works like yoga that's what yoga is really about to me but it was like the practical piece completely changed and i um yeah i think teaching got me back into it because i was like I was having to be in the room and showing people how to do the practice. So that got me to do it again. Yeah. Um, Cause I had just stopped for a, a little while. It was a few months probably that I stopped. And I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself to get on the mat. It was just like too, it was too painful. Oh, I know what I did. So I, I started seeing a yoga therapist, mm-hmm. uh, my friend, Sherry Clampett, who is so brilliant. And, and she helped me so much, like just putting myself in that position of being a student again. So I felt inspired by being a teacher on the one hand, but also allowing myself to be a student and being with her and just kind of trusting her and saying, look, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and just letting her guide me. That that was incredible. I love that. that. Yeah, I love that sort of, um, well, I don't know why it made me think of like, you know, the surrender moment of Arjuna in the Gita, you know, where he's like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Teach me. And then yeah. sometimes like, you know, when we feel disconnected from our practice or when we feel like we've stepped away, you know, I had a time when I was really injured. Um, this was maybe, yeah. I don't know, uh, eight years ago or something. Um, and I stepped away from my practice for a while. I really didn't, uh, I didn't have a way that I felt like I could move my body and not be in pain. And so 
that got me feeling really disconnected from my body. The further away I felt from my body, the less I wanted to practice, you know, it was like a cycle. And it really took me, you know, connecting with some, someone that was like a friend of mine whose practice really inspired me to want to get back into it. I think sometimes like if we don't have the resources, then we can look to a teacher or a friend or a peer mentor kind of thing. I think that's really smart. Yeah. 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 She helped me so much. And um, she also showed me that I could use the practice to process my emotions, which I had, mm. I kind of knew that, but I hadn't been doing it. And so <clears throat> she, she was just like, showing, you know, teaching me about how, um, focusing on emotion when you're moving the body. And that's been, that's been like a revelation to me, you know, like I still, I don't know that I teach it exactly because I'm still processing it myself, but I definitely am much more sensitive to that now, like to to emotion. Um, And I realize that emotion is um, essential. It's like an essential part of yoga. Like I think, I think emotion is often like separated out like it's something other you know what I mean but I feel like that's exactly what I'm getting at in my asana and and pranayama and meditation practice is like not just releasing emotion but experiencing it and and taking and realizing that emotion is like the it's energy it's prana yeah and it's also um so that can be stored or repressed somewhere in my body it can be it can help energy move by feeling feelings like i just i need i'm I'm trying to get better at that of feeling my feelings you know and maybe that's what everyone does i i mean i'm not a particularly emotional person i think that's part of it like i'm i tend to be more intellectual i think and i think things through rather than feel things so maybe more there are people that tend to be more feeling based already Mm -hmm. i don't know but um that's that's a lot of what i'm trying to use my practice for is to like feel my feelings and also like trying to let go of um, the structure that I had, honestly, from my practice. Like I had a very structured practice and I don't anymore. I actually have been doing a lot of strengthening work. Like I'm really trying to get my body strong mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I, I'm working with weights again. Like that's something I hadn't done in 25 years and really just feeling like I feel good. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm back in my body in a new way. Um, Pranayama and meditation are still challenging. Yeah, maybe we can talk about that a little bit because I know when we, you know, teach the accessible yoga training, we talk about ways to make our teaching more trauma-informed. And some of that includes, you know, if you're going to have a practice with controlled breathing or with, you know, eyes closed or a meditation or, you know, things that can tend to trigger anxiety or trigger things like PTSD or trauma, then we want to, you know, provide another way to do that practice that, you know, allows folks to still experience it. So did you find yourself like modifying practices for yourself or not doing them altogether and sort of coming back slowly? Like what was your, what were some alternatives to that more structured practice that you experimented with? Yeah. I mean, I used to be very um, kind of forceful about my pranayama. Like I did a certain amount each day and I did um, you know, usually I did a, a certain number of rounds of Kapalabhati, a rapid abdominal or diaphragmatic breathing, and then a certain amount of alternate nostril breathing with retention. Mm-hmm. That's how I used to do it. 
And now I just I just let that go. Like I'm st I, I'm still getting back into it, I guess. But I I like to do both of those practices, but I do them very gently. I don't do I, I'm not doing retention right now. I'm I'm trying to um, trust my body a little bit more. That I I don't know. Like I just I'm not forcing it into that place yet with pranayama. And I think because my nervous system is maybe not ready, or maybe I'll never be ready. And I'm not sure it's really. I'm not sure it was so healthy in the first place. Like I, I, I think I learned a very structured practice that I, I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm letting it go. So I think, but I do think it's important with, um, like you said, trauma-informed teaching and, and with anxiety in particular to really be gentle with the pranayama because I can't remember the name of it, but there's the kind of anxiety that I have is definitely related to the breath. There's certain anxiety, I can't, there's like a diagnosed term, there's a term for it, but it's like a kind of anxiety that like is about bodily function mm. where you get anxious about your breathing. And so for me, it's very difficult to do controlled breathing. And I, I've had to do it slowly. And I know now, I mean, now I'm really sensitive to that in my students. I still teach it though. Like I'm definitely willing to teach it as long as there's like an out, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. As long as there's like a, yeah. And like that, it's fine to not do it or it's fine to do less or to stop whenever you want. Like as long as that's offered, I think it's I think it's good to give people all these tools. Um, yeah, yeah I because I think for some people, you know, breathing practices are very calming, but for some it can have the opposite effect. And so, yeah, I think, like you mm -hmm. said, that's the advice that I give teachers, too, is that for whatever pose or practice, that you either provide an out if it's not that important that the practice happen or a different way to experience it. You know, like we don't have to have our eyes closed for <laughs> all pranayama yeah. or whatever. If that's going to be triggering for someone, we can gaze down, we can fix our gaze to an object. So just offering those options, I think is, is a smart way to do, to yeah. do that. And, and I think, you know, when we explore within our own practice, um, I like what you said about being able to trust your body and that, a more structured practice, like wasn't actually serving you and what your body needed and being able to recognize and notice that I think is important that we don't, you know, get a fix too much of our idea of like what the practice has to look like. And, you know, for all the teachers listening, like this is how we meet our students where they are, right? We can't like have our, um, our egos to attach to like what the practice looks like or, or, get too dogmatic about it where we miss the opportunity, you know, to actually practice yoga as we are today with anxiety and all, um, versus like yeah. having some perfect template of a practice that we were, you know, we were taught to do in a more like, I think disciplined and rigid way. I we were talking about this a little bit when it came to the, um, what Patanjali was saying about, you know, controlling the mind versus making friends with the mind. I think like, mm. Yeah. I love this sort of more trauma-informed and I think human-centered way of, of looking at these practices that, you know, we're honoring the essence of the practice and allowing it to be flexible for our lives, like the actual lives that we're living because we're not, you know, ascetics living in a cave yeah. in India or whatever. Um, right. And I think, I think we say that a lot. Like we're like, oh, we're not, you know, we're not those ascetics living in a cave, in a cave, in a cave. Um, but I also, I think there's still a disconnect between the way that we think we're supposed to teach uh, practice and the way that we are mm -hmm. practicing. Like, I think, I think we haven't, we still haven't made that, um, 
I don't know what, the, like it's almost like an evolution in my mind, which is kind of what I'm trying to explore in my book right now. Like how, how is it that we can be respectful of this tradition that's just incredible, yeah. right? The tradition of yoga is amazing and um, we want to respect that, but we also need to respect our own bodies and minds and our our own agency, like yeah. which is the power we have over our body and mind and how we get to make choices for ourselves. So like, I think there's a little bit of tension there for mm-hmm. me around tradition and um, and adaption or adaptation or um, accessibility. Like I, but I, but I'm really interested in that tension. Like I feel like that's where my interest lies right now in terms of exploring that how so I guess the question for me is like how do you how do you stay respectful of the tradition but make yoga work for you? Yeah, I love that question like in a real way. Yeah, maybe that's our reflection question for this podcast that we ask at the end. Well, we'll we'll put it on the end. I don't yeah. think we're done talking, but that's a good one. Because because I I guess I think that one of the the issues that comes up for me is cultural appropriation, and I I mean we don't have to get into it deeply, but I just think that. Um, Anytime you change the practice, you have to be sensitive to that right. idea. Are you are you taking it? Um, but I feel like if you're if you're adapting the practice in a way that's more um, respectful to yourself or others, honors our humanity. Like, yeah, right. And I saw a quote from Susanna. I want to Susanna Barkataki. Yeah, maybe I can find it. She talked about um, creativity. I mean, this is paraphrasing her, but something like creativity is like an antidote to to cultural appropriation. Yeah. Actually, uh, I talked with Justine about that on episode five, um, that quote actually, and we discussed it a little bit. Um, but I love that idea of like creativity being like, um, the alternative basically to cultural appropriation that you can still be in, in a tradition and, and an in inquiry with these questions about how we, you know, make the practice more human centered, um, especially like for the lives we're living today. So I love, I love right. being an inquiry with that question. Maybe we can have our community chime in on how they are wrestling with it. Yeah. I think it, to me, it comes down to understanding the underlying purpose of the practice and like really feeling connected to that, um, yeah. to the, to those underlying, like, um, I don't know, the underlying meaning rather than necessarily being attached to the form, Mm -hmm. um, which is what we tend to do. Like we have a form, you know, I was trained in integral yoga and and we have a very particular form format. Like there's a series that we do and, and timing and everything is very organized, which I think is really helpful. um, Especially in the beginning, I think for new practitioners to have like an organized, um, system that they can kind of just step into you know if you don't really know exactly what you're doing it's such a helpful support but i think i think over time it's okay to let that go and i would say it's actually a process of personal evolution that you allow your your personal practice to um expand and change according to how you change and how your your body and mind change Mm. Uh, and that doesn't feel 
That doesn't feel less authentic. It actually feels more authentic. Yeah, honestly, this reminds me of the analogy that you gave to where like the yoga practice was like painting, where you don't want to paint the yeah. same painting over and over. Like it evolves and changes you express yourself through it. And so what you're just saying reminds me of like, you know, maybe when we start our practice is sort of like we're going to art school. Like you have to learn, you know, the right way to do things, quote unquote. So then you can have a template to work from, but then, and you get skills and you get tools, but then you are able to really take it and adapt it and make it your own. Like you're still honoring the traditions of whatever medium, you know, the artists of that medium, but you're creating something new. And I, so I don't know if that <laughs> worked for anyone else, yeah. but it made me think of it in that way. Well, I, I mean, that's how I think about it anyway. That helped, and that's why I share that idea of that art, but as like an art form, that creativity piece. But I, but I think that there's a fine line between that and appropriation yes. because it's not about um, like branding your own style and then selling mm -hmm. that. And that, that's like, uh, I think appropriation has to do with um, whether you're trying to get something out of it yeah. or whether you're trying to give something. Like, what is your motive there um so i feel like that that's important too and i, I think it's so confusing because i know like for, like i'm from a traditional lineage where you know it's it's considered respectful to the guru or the teacher to practice a certain way like that that that's how i was trained that like you do what you're told because that shows your respect to the teacher yeah. and i don't but i also don't I don't know if I really buy that. Like, I just, I think at some point you have to show respect for the inner teacher. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the actual guru in the yoga tradition is, is inside of us. So it's like, maybe the external guru is like just a temporary thing, like to learn how to follow along. And then eventually you can let that go and, and um, connect maybe a little deeper with your own guidance, your own like intuition. Yeah. I love that. So I'm wondering if um, we could talk about something that I think, you know, you brought up a little bit at the beginning about, you know, when the more conversations we have about mental health, um, which one in four yeah. people in the U.S., um, that's the last statistic I've heard, struggle with some kind of mental illness. And so that's a lot of us, you know, 25% at least walking around dealing with, you know, whatever um, mental illness or anxiety or whatever is going on, um, but we don't really talk about it a lot. And so I think that part of destigmatizing um, mental health and mental illness and getting treatment, whatever that might look like, is, you know, talking about it, normalizing it. And I wanted to talk about one way that I think this stigma shows up um, in wellness spaces. And I know that in the past, you know, when I've I've shared about my own struggles with depression or anxiety, um, inevitably I'll get some people in my inbox that are sort of like, well, aren't you, if you're a yoga teacher, like, aren't you supposed to, you know, does this mean your practice is like not good enough? Or this sort of rhetoric around like, well, if you had your, you know, your practice right, then yeah. you wouldn't need medication or things like that. Do you know what I mean? Like this very well, specific oh, yeah. sort of like how wellness or spiritual practice is like weaponized against people that struggle with mental health stuff. So I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, it drives me crazy. Like I, I just, that idea that, um, well, there's, there's a few different ideas yeah. in there. I think you're talking about kind of like this, it's ableism, it's ableism actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, that like having a disability or having you know mental health challenge is not good, and and that that's something we want to like get rid of and heal. And that if you you know, and that yoga is about healing, and it can like transform you, and you don't have that problem right. anymore. And I just think that's just not how it works. Like, like that's just we'll always be who we are. We can we can use tool the tools of yoga to become uh, to have more like improved moments of <laughs> peace or whatever you know, or like find tools to help us manage our whatever blank challenge that is, you know, whatever that thing is. So like the yoga teachings are tools for us and so are so is western medicine like i think we need to use all the tools we have at our disposal and western medicine can be incredible like there are some incredibly effective uh, medications for depression and anxiety and i mean i have i completely support people using them like we need to use everything at our disposal and by the way like medicine I mean, if you really want to look at it from a yoga perspective, um, in the yoga teachings, you know, the natural world, which is made up of the three gunas, right? right? The three gunas are, are what? Sattva, uh, Rajas, Tamas, like the three different kinds of energy, um, like calm energy, active energy, and kind of more relaxed or lethargic energy. And those energies are what make up the natural world and that natural world includes our body and mind so the human body and mind is not separate from the natural world so whatever the human body and mind creates as medicine is still part of nature according to yoga teachings i mean you know you you can have you can make that medicine in a factory you can make it from a garden it's still medicine and there'll be positive and negative effects from that medicine you know what i mean it's not it's just it's not separate like i just i'm tired of that idea of like that humans are somehow separate from nature and and that natural things are good and i also think that you know part of the conditioning that we have around mental health and the stigma around that is like you know, no one, no one thinks it's like weird or weak for someone who has cancer to like get chemo meds, but we have plenty of rhetoric around like, well, if you could just like, you know, get yourself together, you wouldn't need to take medicine or whatever. That sort of is predicated on this idea that the body and the mind are two separate things. And if you practice yoga, you sort of have to buy into the idea that they're not right. And that the body and the mind are one and they're connected and one affects the other and vice versa. So like if you buy into the system of yoga as the way to do your world, (laughs) you know, then that doesn't even make sense logically um, to have like a stigma around, you know, treating a mental, mental health issue. Um, I think, I think it's it's also just like kind of a way that spiritual bypass shows up is um, that sort of like, we should be only feeling good vibrations all the time and that negative emotions, you know, first of all, that there is such a thing as negative emotions, right? Like maybe we would categorize like sadness or anger or things like that as negative emotions, but like that they're somehow dangerous or abnormal. And so I think that, um, you know, we really, like we were talking about that in our episode about duality, that we have to like honor the fullness of our human experience and our humanity, which includes um, things like anxiety and depression and anger. 
Right. And also includes like the medications yeah. for them. Like I think that um, just to have a more expansive view of life, I think is really what yoga is about. I mean, honestly, it's not about accepting everything, but it's about allowing everything to exist within the realm of possibility and not having to like always say good and bad. Mm -hmm. Like this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. You know, this kind of constant judgment that we do. Um, I mean, because within, like I said, like within Western medicine, there's medicine that can help and there's medicine that can hurt within plant medicine there's medicine that can help there's medicine that can hurt you know it's like or or like and by the way like you said oh well with cancer people don't say you should just do natural cures but that's not true i've heard that i've heard people say like don't do chemo it'll kill mm, you, you yeah know? you're right maybe that was I mean, a bad example <laughs> yeah i think i mean personally like i want like all the right. things like i want all right. of it like diet too like i know we love you know to not talk about this but like it's like all the things like I'm, you can't, it's like, if you can access healthy food, yeah. great, like access it. Like, you know, that's, that's another option that you have, but it doesn't mean that's like the answer for everyone. Like, it's just another thing that's there. Um, there's so many options in the world to how you want to live your life and the kind of way you want to practice or take care of yourself. Um, and like the kind of judgments that we do. And also I think what we do is we find something that works for us personally, and then we decide that everyone else has to do that. Right. Um, and that's that's problematic. So just because you know antidepressants don't work for someone doesn't mean like someone else shouldn't try them. So yeah, let's talk about you though. I want to hear about your story. You said you have uh, talked about depression and anxiety yourself, but maybe you could share a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think that the way that you know, yoga showed up for me, um, in this realm is actually like when I started practicing yoga, um, I feel like I had dealt with anxiety for a long time, but I just never really labeled it that. Um, but I always had this sort of like soundtrack that played in my head. You know, I used to call it like the mean girl soundtrack and sort of like this negative thought loop, you know, the negative self-talk. And I think a lot of people can relate to that sort of this, sort of judgment uh, voice in your head that's like, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, everything you say makes people mad at you, you know, the sort of like same things that your brain is mean to you. And and so I, I definitely have had that, you know, since, I don't know, adolescence or something. And, and I remember going to my first yoga class um, that I was, I was sent to by a trainer at a gym, by the way. Um, and I went expecting like, the guy was like, you should do yoga on your rest days because it doesn't count as exercise, but you'll burn a lot of calories. <laughs> like I was on a big weight loss project back then. And so I was like, okay. So yeah, I went yeah. to the yoga class and I don't really remember like what we did in the class, but the thing that made a big impression on me was when I was leaving, um, I got in my car and started driving home and I noticed like 10 minutes into the ride that the Mean Girl soundtrack started back up. And that got my mm. attention just because that minute had stopped like for the 10 minutes after class. And that was new. I was like, oh, whoa. Okay. So that made me pay attention. And I was like, well, maybe it was the class. Like maybe I have to go back to this class and see if I can like repeat the results of my experiment. So I, <laughs> I went back and, and it did. It would happen again. I would find that like when I would leave, you know, the yoga class, I would my negative or my self-talk would be a little nicer. I would feel a little more grounded, a little more comfortable in my skin. I'm a pretty high strung person. I felt like it kind of took me down a frequency. Like that's how I've always described it. And 
you know, I learned really to uh, like work with my nervous system um, in the yoga practice. And that allowed me to really understand that like there was ways to start working with my mind. Um, I think yoga is where I first like became conscious of the fact that like I could intentionally choose my thoughts rather than just like letting my mind do whatever Mm. it wanted to do, which was of course like my mind is a very busy place. And if I don't like give it something to think about, like I I have this like joke that I'll say to my husband, like, you know, if you're not around, I'll argue with myself. Like, you know, I, my mind is like always needs to be doing something. And if you don't give it a task, like, you know, what do they say? Like the idle hands or the devil's something, something like basically that's my mind. It's like, if it's left idle, it's going to like go to worst case scenario or some anxiety thought loop or have an imaginary argument with someone like it's a scary place. So I really found like tools in the yoga practice to start work. Like, like you say, making friends with my mind, even though it wasn't always like the most friendliest place, especially when it came to, you know, my body image. And I think that the yoga practice and what I eventually like kind of came to understand is the practice of Pratipak Shabhavana that like choose the opposite thought, like when unhelpful thoughts you know, our present, I forget the exact translation, but you choose the opposite thought. Yeah. Like, um, and, and that was really a gift that the practice gave to me of being able to work with my mind. And I have other, you know, um, friends and teachers and coaches that do this type of work, um, from like not in the yoga tradition too. um, Cara Lowenthal, I'll link to her in the show notes. She's a friend of mine. That's, mm. um, that's a, a master certified life coach. And she does, Uh, she calls it thought work. And so it's really about being able to understand that our thoughts and our feelings are connected and that, um, you know, thoughts happen in our mind and feelings happen in our body. And that if you can start to, you know, cultivate this like witness consciousness that we talk about in yoga, where we can observe our thoughts without judgment, but just kind of like have space between, you know, the thoughts that are happening in our mind and how we choose to like respond or react to it, or even how we choose to interpret like the feelings that are going on in our body or whatever. And so, um, I think that like Mm -hmm. understanding that I had an alternative option to just like letting my mind run away with me, like, you know, the monkey mind is a, a concept we talk about in yoga, like just knowing that that was an option Uh, was so helpful to me because then I could really start to work with my anxiety because like my thoughts were always sort of like variations on the same themes, right? Like my brain, when it wanted to be mean to me, it wasn't like it would go find like completely new things to be mean about. You know what I mean? It would always be body image or it would always be you're too loud or it'll always be like, you know, you're too like pushy or, you know, all the things that I've like been told my whole life. And so, um, So to be able to have an alternative to just letting my brain like beat me up as much as it wanted to was really just such a relief. And I think like Mm. one of the ways that the practice has helped me to grow so much by understanding that like, you know, I cannot control my circumstances. I can't control like not most of them. (laughs) I can't control other people's thoughts or other people's feelings or other people's actions but I can always control what I think about a situation. I can always control the way that I want to react to it. And I can control like the space between whatever happens and the way that I react or respond. Like, am I 
reactionary, like in that moment and just going to react from like my default emotion, which I think is anger (laughs) or wanting to like fight. Um, Or am I going to actually like take the space to take it in, like operate out of that witness place, like observe it without judgment, try to understand like what might be going on that I can't see in the immediate moment. You know, remember that other people have their own thoughts about whatever, you know, like take in all of that, like wisdom that I've learned from the yoga practice about the way that reality is, and then be able to respond from a place of like my, my highest self, like in line with my values and, you know, all, and the way that I want to live my life and all of that stuff. And so I think that, you know, I definitely don't do it perfectly every time, like to be sure. Um, but I think with practice, like it becomes more natural. It becomes that sort of like ongoing awareness that, you know, you can develop through this, through this yoga practice and through mindfulness to notice it more when it's happening and be able to sort of like catch it before it sweeps you up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I, I, I definitely know what you mean. I, I've been, that's what I've been thinking about too. And I, I have a, I would just say that one part a little differently, which is like, I, I don't feel like I can control my reactions Mm -hmm. anymore. And like, that's been very freeing for me because I think that I, I agree with like 100% of what you said, but then up to that point, and then I'm like, that became, you know, it's like, I've been doing this for 30 years. And I was like, wait, am I a failure? Because I'm not able to control my reaction. I guess reaction, when I use that word, I meant like the action that you take in response to whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, I'm just saying that's what I thought too. Like I definitely found, I had that same experience that yoga would like create this spaciousness mm-hmm. for me and then it was like and th- but then when I was not able to do that I was kind of putting myself down oh, for not being yogi enough like and I guess I'm just saying like my new like my new way that I'm trying to feel into this is like this more slightly more accepting embracing place of like seeing that my mind is in pain and, and, um, has suffered. And so that when, you know, when I respond, like when my reaction comes, like the emotion comes of like feeling angry or hurt by something that someone does or something, or even something I say to myself, Mm -hmm. I try to, um, have more compassion for myself. Yeah. And I, I think, um, it's shifted things for me a bit. And I, I think it, I think, I think there's a, like, sometimes the yoga teachings are offered in this way, like, that feels very cut and dry, you know, like Pratipakshabhavana, for example, where you said, like, where it's, the teaching is, like, replacing negative thoughts with opposite positive ones. That feels like a very cut and dry teaching, but I just find that my experience of it is so not cut and dry, like, it's, you know what I, I mean? I do, like, yeah, more, I know what you mean, uh, and I, yeah. I think, you know, I've definitely heard that sort of translated into, like, the power of positive thinking sort of thing, and that's not really what yeah. I'm talking about, um, and I want to be yeah. really clear that, like, I don't think you can just, yeah. like, if you're having, you know, anxious thoughts about your family being in danger, you should just, like, think that they're not in danger, like, that's not, <laughs> that's not yeah. the practice of Pratipakshabhavan, I think I just, like, was trying to get at the point of the, yeah. that having the option to actually choose a thought on purpose was like a game changer for me. 
Yeah. And that it it's not about like convincing yourself of some pie in the sky thing. Like I actually, when I try to teach people how to work with thoughts, like we don't go to a positive thought right off. We just need to get to right. a neutral thought. Neutral. We need to get, okay, yeah, exactly. we need to get to a place. Like if exactly. I stand, I'll just give you a very concrete example from my own life and practice. If I'm trying to make peace with something about my body, like let's say like I actually had this intentional project to make peace with like the shape of my belly and the way it looked and clothes. And so if I stand in front of a mirror and think like my belly is disgusting and then I want to get to like my belly is fine to the way it is, like I, I don't believe that thought currently if I believe that I look disgusting. So your brain like can't hold those two things at the same time because like you're your BS detector goes off. It's like, uh, nope, not true. And so like, you just have to get to a thought that you, number one, believe is actually true. And number two, doesn't have judgment associated with it. Right. So I'm not saying like no one else notices the way my belly looks or my belly is fine. I should just get over it. Like those things have like judgment, but more, maybe something more along the lines of like, this is a human being's belly. Some are bigger, some are smaller than this one. This is the one that I have. Like, no Mm -hmm. one's going to embroider that on a pillow or, like, put it on a graphic (laughs) on Pinterest. But, like, what what feeling do you have in your body when you think this more neutral thought versus the negative thought that makes you feel shame or whatever it is? No one's not embroidered on a pillow. Like, I feel neutral about my belly. Yeah, I have a human belly or something like that. I have a human belly. Like, this is a belly. Yeah. My belly exists. Those are all this good thoughts. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's really the premise of my book, to be honest. Oh, like, yeah. that's the overarching theme. Um, is not just neutrality, but kind of that, like, um, yeah, like, uh, open mind mm-hmm. kind of perspective of, like, you know, allowing there to be that negative thought, too. And, and also allowing for another possibility. And rather than, like, criticizing myself because I think sometimes yoga practice can be used to just worsen our natural tendencies of self-criticism and judgment and like oh shoot there I go again like putting myself down I'm really bad (laughs) like no that's not that's not really the point of the practice don't like feel extra bad like actually it's it's a success to notice the working of the mind and that's it like that's success like Just like you said, that neutral observing, that neutral place is actually, I would say it's not even really neutral. I think it's actually a loving, it's it's, it's a loving place, but it feels neutral most of the time. But I think it's incredibly positive. And um, that I believe is actually our, our like witness mind. Maybe you would say your true self or your spirit is this kind of neutral witness, but it, but it has a, a, a loving intense, you know what I'm saying? Like it comes from a place of wanting to care for us in this body and mind that we have right now. And that feels so different to me than the way the teachings are sometimes shared, which is like, change yourself, do better, right. you know, improve. improve. Like it's still, you know what I mean? Yoga is still used that yeah. way. Like, Well, and I think, you know, it makes sense, like, because that's how dominant culture conditions us is that everything yeah. is hierarchical and that our bodies are problems to be solved or our lives are projects to constantly yeah. improve upon. And so, Whatever dynamics exist in society, we replicate in our institutions. So that has trickled down onto practice, yoga practice, especially in the West where, you know, it's also got layers of fitness and diet culture and all of the competition and striving that comes with it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and you honestly, you can interpret the yoga teachings in many, many ways. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're talking about teachings that have changed and evolved and were diverse to begin with, you know, and then have evolved over literally thousands of years. So we, no one can say yoga is yeah. this, you know, or yoga means this way. Like we can just all try to embrace these teachings and practice the best of our ability. But I feel like, I feel like there's a way to experience yoga as a more, I don't know, like positive force for like nurturing ourselves mm -hmm. um, to move towards a place where we feel like we have less suffering and um, yeah. And like, and, and also more like in touch with the reality of existence, like that we're, we're here for temporary, it's a temporary experience. Like it's not forever. Like the body is going to die and you don't want to make the best of this moment. Um, I don't know. So that's what I'm really trying. So, so what I'm trying to explore is that in the book, that wasn't the point of this podcast, though. <laughs> but I, I think it comes back to this anxiety because this anxiety for me has been the teacher that sh showed me that I need to, I need to reframe and really shift my thinking around the teachings to be a little softer. Yeah. And, um, and not this kind of like aggressive change everything. Um, yeah. Like it's not like another, like you said, another project to improve myself. It's actually, it's being embracing myself for what I am. Well said. I think we can leave it there. What do you think? Sure. I could talk about it forever. Well, I'm writing a whole book about yeah. it. So <laughs> we'll probably come back to talk about this topic. And we would love to know um, your experiences. If you'd like to share with us when we talk about the podcast on social media, um, you know, what's been helpful for you? What do you think about these topics around anxiety and the practice, adapting the practice to be more human centered? We'd love to hear your reflections um, anytime we talk about one of these topics. But uh, Jeevana, thanks for chatting with me about this today. Yeah, thank you, Amber. All right, we'll see you all next time. So okay. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Please visit our website, accessibleyogatraining.com, where you can see what we're up to, subscribe to the podcast, and where you can get on the wait list for our next course here at the Accessible Yoga Training School. And surprise, it's with me. <laughs> I am bringing my Making Peace With Your Body weekend intensive online for the first time ever with the Accessible Yoga Training School. And the course is going to run from October 27th through November 19th of this year. Making Peace With Your Body is an online course in a community that explores body acceptance and self-image through the lens of the yoga teachings. We'll discover how the practice of non-attachment, a justice-focused analysis of why we're so messed up about bodies in the first place, learning to manage our minds, and getting access to meaningful community can completely transform our relationship to our bodies. If you're sick of the negative self-talk loop that plays in your head on repeat, I call mine the mean girl soundtrack, <laughs> come join us. We'll learn techniques to shift our thoughts from self-loathing to radical self-acceptance. We'll also have space for movement, breathing work, meditation, reflection, and self-study. This course will be an interactive time of self-discovery and transformation. 
We're going to discover ways to boost confidence, come home to our bodies, and sharpen our minds to work toward equity and justice for all bodies. The waitlist is opening soon. You can go to accessibleyogatraining.com slash emails, and we'll let you know as soon as the waitlist opens for Making Peace With Your Body. I hope we'll see you there. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, give us feedback. We really, really value it, and we can't wait to hear from you. We'll see you next week.